come together to work at how we can build creativity and inspire growth for our clients. And so when one person falls out, it affects everybody. And there is a sync that when you are working as a team and you're in sync together, the work is better, you're driving growth for clients in a great way. And so I do think that when someone leaves, there is a cost beyond just the salary. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Today, I have Audrey Malachik, who's the Chief Executive Officer over at Wonderman Thompson North America. She's responsible for driving growth across the entire region. In case you're not familiar with it, Wonderman Thompson is a New York-based marketing agency, 20,000 employees strong in 90 markets across the world. Audrey has more than two decades of experience building successful brands, and she's known for prioritizing creative excellence, fostering strong client relationships, and promoting a strong culture, all of which we're probably going to touch on some today. Audrey's strong work ethic, no-nonsense work style, openness, and deep collaborative approach has made her a highly sought after leader by clients and teams alike. She's also served as president of DDB and Velocity and worked with clients like Johnson Johnson that you've heard of, Kroger, Aflac, Uber, Hewlett Packard, and Merck. As an industry advocate, she is deeply involved in mentoring and growing the next generation of diverse leaders through her involvement in the All-Stars Project, and she runs it. She was even named by, she runs it as the 2020 Working Mother of the Year, which we're going to dive into in just a second. But before that, Audrey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. I'm in Charleston today, everybody. Audrey is in New York, but she's heading to Minneapolis in just a little bit. And I was just telling her how my friend just texted me and said it was a wind chill of negative 20. Are you ready for that? Audrey? You know, I'm going to pack an extra sweater now that you've told me that. I mean, I didn't think it was going to be balmy in Minneapolis, but I have to say it does really uh, focus you on what you've got in that suitcase when you hear that number, doesn't it? Yes. Cause you probably like me, you got to get it all on the carry on and you're like, man, a bulky 100%. sweater doesn't always, it, it takes up some precious space in there. So good luck. And with the winter that. is about layering, you know, you got to do the That's layering true. in order to make that outfit yeah, yeah. together. So it's, it's hard to get it all in the bag. Yeah, so glad you're on with us today. So in the research, you know, seeing that you won a working mother of the year and your CEO, and it's a global pandemic, all these things seem to be like a very difficult to successfully navigate all at the same time. So how did, how did you win this award? And tell us a little bit about that. I'll tell you that award is probably the most satisfying award that I've ever won because, you know, nothing really matters. I think actually Jackie Onassis was the one who said this, nothing really matters in life if you screw up raising your kids. And I, I think it's true. I think yeah. it's true. And so, you know, uh, for me, the key is to have a sense of humor because you're not going to do everything perfectly for sure. Mm -hmm. 
two to compartmentalize. And I think I do that well. What does that mean? That means that for many years, I was commuting from New Jersey into Manhattan and I had two young sons. Thankfully, I had a, um, I still have a husband who, you know, leaned in. Um, He grew up one of nine children. So he was taught to clean early, which I appreciate (laughs) my mother-in-law every day. And You know, I think that, yes, I think the thing is, is that you really want to make sure that when you are home, you're just trying to focus on them and do the best you can. And when you are in the office, you're Mm. full on in the office. And so that, that ability to compartmentalize, I think is what has made me feel very proud of being a good parent and um, having some success at work. Yeah. That, that idea of compartmentalization uh, I think is so helpful with presence and giving yourself permission to be present in the moment. Cause it's so darn easy probably to like, okay, I'm like, I'm playing a board game with my child and the game's moving slowly like monopoly, which never ends. And you start, start thinking about work, but sort of building those sort of mental barriers around it, it's like protect this time. And then when you get to work, you can really engage in the staff meeting, even if something's droning on forever you give yourself uh to be be really present how does this term presence resonate with you oh 100 percent. and and but i also think ben that you have to give yourself um some empathy and some sympathy when you do let your you're reading that book to your children and your mind does go to some burning problem at work like it's gonna happen right and we're so hard on ourselves but for me one of the things that was really important is I wanted to be class mom. I wanted to be in mm. some of the key, you know, I want to be at the Halloween parade. Mm-hmm. I wanted I was very focused in my head. My kids are older now, which is why I'm using the past tense. Um, you know, I was very focused on the key moments that I wanted to be present and be there. And I, I didn't try to do it all because mm. You know, there's a lot of times where other moms drove my kids to the soccer game and I wasn't there and that's not awesome, but you can't, you just can't beat yourself up about everything. You just can't. Yeah. I I like that. That self-compassion is so important because you're also, you're a role model for your own children. If they see you run it like, oh, I feel so guilty about that. Then they're going to probably grow up thinking a certain way, how they have to be as a parent. And I love the idea that, uh, of that self-compassion, which we can all learn from. And frankly, as the CEO, you're setting the tone for everybody else in the company. And so how you talk about it, you know, you're role modeling that behavior, uh, for your, for the other uh, leaders inside the company. You know, one of the things that it, this really was interesting to me was I decided to take a little bit of a deep dive on the organization that, that gave you this award. Um, and I love the name she runs it, but this organization dates back to 1912, right? 1912. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 1912. Uh, it was founded by the league of advertising women and which makes me harken back to Mad Men, you know, the uh, TV series. Sure. And I think, which let's just say, even though the women rise up throughout the series, it's still a pretty male dominated chauvinistic situation. And you're in that industry now. So, um, what's it like being in, in the advertising world as a leader that has, at least from the Mad Men perspective, a, a reputation is a, a, 
of, of being, you know, sort of male dominated, male chauvinistic in, in a lot of ways? Well, thankfully, it's completely different today. I will say mm -hmm. that I've had three female role models in my career that made a huge impact on me. One was mm -hmm. the fabulous Rosemary Ryan, who I worked for when I was at JWT in the mid 2000s. And, you know, Rosemary was the first woman who led an agency that I saw show up as her real self. She Ooh. Yeah, no, she and oh, she her real self, does. huh? Okay. <clears throat> she did and does. She she was, you know, she she had a lot of presence, is very funny, never claimed to know all of the answers, and didn't try to fit a male mold. And I, mm. I really, really learned a lot from her. And then I had the great fortune to work for the um fabulous Wendy Clark. Um, who remains a mentor today and who I feel um, taught me so much about being able to focus on um, what's really important and impact and being a great um, leader for, for your mm -hmm. people. And then um, today I work for Mel Edwards, who is just absolutely fantastic and leads our organization. So you're right. It is a it has this reputation of being a madman kind of industry. And I will say that when I started in this industry, I had to see a lot more of that than I do today. Wow. Well, congratulations on being part of that, too. And I love the shout outs to your mentors, because I think people need to hear that because we discount that so many times, or there's this image of, especially in the C-suite, like, you know, I like this bootstrap attitude sometimes, like I just did this on my own through perseverance, but Hey, we stand on the shoulders of giants in so many ways. And I think and it's a lot of times you, you just don't know how to handle a situation. And so you see somebody else do it mm -hmm. and then you think, Oh, wow, wait, I can do that. Yes. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Cause it's that, it's, it's like that four minute mile uh, mindset where no one seems to be doing it until someone finally does it. Right. And then it just like creates a uh, sort of those mental pathways for others to believe that they can do it and, and break through. Exactly. exactly. So let's, let's fast forward this a little bit today. So um, from the days of 1912 to now we're in the pandemic, of course, or we, we think we're rounding the corner on it at least. And yeah, fingers crossed, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed that we are. There's this thing called the great reshuffle, the great resignation going on where a lot of employees, just a lot of churn right now, a lot of employees leaving. And I'd love to get your thoughts around this. Uh, when should employees consider leaving? When should they stay? You know, what, how are you thinking through this uh, as a CEO? You know, I'm glad you asked me that question because I actually think that sometimes staying in the job you have is the best career choice. And I know yep. that sounds like, really? Um, because there's just so much focus right now on switching jobs in order to move ahead. And, and sometimes you do need to do that and you need to know when that is. But if I look back on my own career, mm -hmm. I didn't switch jobs that much. And I was very focused when I switched jobs on why I was doing it. But I think there's not enough said about the benefits of staying in the job that you have. And for me, there's three. The, the first is that I think when you start a new job, the thing that you do is you get to learn the organization, mm -hmm. who are the leaders, how do decisions really get sure. made, um, you know, what are the capabilities, what are the tools, what's the, the tone and what's acceptable here. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think for a good part of that first year, at least the first three months, you're focused on that. And then you get to really lean in on your own skills and honing your skills and repeating um, examples of using mm-hmm. your skills and your craft. And you get better every time. And you get better every time when it's the same team, it's the same organization, and all those variables aren't changed. So when I see people that move their, um, their, their jobs every year, I worry a little bit about how much they've been able to really hone their craft when you're constantly getting up to speed on a new organization. So I think one thing is you hone your craft better when you stay in an organization. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is you just have more time to create allies and relationships to find mentors and sponsors and mentors and sponsors. Like they are critical in your career. I just talked about three in mine. You would not get ahead without them. Um, you know, Andrew Robertson's a great sponsor to me, less of a mentor, whatever, but a definite sponsor in that there were moments in my career when he really helped move me forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I got to know him over a period of time. It wasn't like I met him one day and suddenly mm-hmm. became my sponsor. That takes time. Um, and then I think the third thing is that when you are at an organization for a while, you've put points on the board and you can really advocate yourself for yourself and um, you can identify ways that you can actually give back to the organization and, and, and make positive changes. And you can't do that in month one. Yeah. I mean, you're really hitting the nail on the head there. It's like, it takes time y'all. <laughs> it takes time. And if you're keep le- you keep jumping jobs, you're probably doing a good job of honing your interview skills. <laughs> but, but what about those skills that take to prove your credibility, to build that informal network that you're talking about? Like, Hey, I mean, to get things done in a company, you need more than the support of your boss. Usually you need support of other groups uh, and to represent the company. And it, there's this learning curve. A, a boss of mine used to tell me fanning, it takes a year just to have walking around sense. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, this was back yep. in, back in Atlanta when I, when I lived there, uh, work, working for a company. So yeah, it, it takes time. Now, when you get to the point, uh, where you're really thinking about leaving and you've been there while at the company, um, what's the advice for someone who's really trying to weigh that and, what, what are some questions maybe that they should be considering whether they should leave or stay? You know, I think it comes down to, you really have to ask yourself, what is the problem statement? Like, what's hmm. the reason that I need to leave? What is my problem statement? And then yeah. I think you owe it to your organization to bring forth of that problem statement, whether it is um, fair pay, um, you know, hybrid mm-hmm. work environment, uh, career opportunities, you know, working on a team that has just not the right fit, Mm -hmm. different skill set, whatever. I think you owe it to the company to go forward and lay out that problem statement and see what they do about it. And if they don't do anything about it, then, you know, you need to go find it someplace else. But I would always recommend that people do that. When I was early in my career at Gray Advertising, I left and I remember the, I was very junior, but the um, executive vice president on the account called me into his office and kind of yelled at me and said, I had great plans for you. I can't believe you're doing this. This is really dumb and stupid on your part. And I took two things away from that. One, don't ever be that 
harsh and mean talk to people, <laughs> but two, um, uh. I hope he's not listening, but two, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that you, you do owe it to have that conversation because mm. it shocked me when he said I had great plans for you. He had never told me and mm. I had never said I was unhappy. So it, that was dysfunctional and, and, um, that we don't have to have it that way. Yeah. I love that. I like, cause it also, it puts some responsibility on you too. Like, Hey, I've got to advocate for myself in the situations, tell them what I want to do. And maybe they have plans, maybe they don't, but at least I'll know something about it. 100%. And, uh, yeah. Um, but I have worked in New York and I have been yelled at several times by my boss when I was there. It must be it's in New York. It's just, it's a form of direct communication, perhaps. You can um, be but direct, but I like to say, Ben, direct with love. Direct with love. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, I think that's a great thing to, to remember a great thing to remember. So uh, I would like to take even a, so going back a little bit in your career, tell us a little bit about what your first job was and how has it impacted your leadership style today? Okay. So I um, started my career working on a factory control advertising account for General Electric. And it was at, and I, and, and I got the job because my dad was a client of the agency. So I walked in the door, no one took me seriously at all. And what I learned from that is I had to prove myself. I had to read engineering magazines. I had to go to Detroit and talk to, you know, much older men about factory controls and be able to hold my own in client meetings and have a point of view. And I took it really seriously and I surprised them and, and changed their minds. And I think that that taught me that, you know, you just have to work hard in order to stand out, but you can do it. And when people under, let people underestimate you because you'll surprise mm. the hell out of them sometimes. And yeah. I think it really uh. taught me in my career to look for those people that take the hard assignments mm. and come back because that is, you know, you, you can do so much with, with people like that. People that'll step up and take the tough, the tough assignment. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So is this something, do you, I mean, thinking back, is this something that you always had this, this, like I was always willing to sort of jump in and tackle a difficult situation or something you learned along the way, or maybe that was fostered from your parents or, you know, what, I, yeah, I, mean, I think it was fostered from my parents. Um, mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it was easy, you know, I, I, like, to be honest with you, factory and controls were not something that particularly stimulated a 22-year-old young woman starting her career in advertising. It wasn't <laughs> like what? what I had expected. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, it is something that I think they instilled in me and they expected, but it didn't make it easy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like it. 
I'm trying to imagine you going to Detroit during that time period. I bet it was, I bet it was tough. I remember I, my my, my first job was working for an apparel company and the boss sent me into the factory and I was going to be like an industrial engineer. And I kind of was, had this ivory tower mindset. Well, I was just going to be in the office doing analysis and whatnot. He's like, no, you're going to go and you're going to do time studies on the floor and we're going to teach you how to sew. And they put me on the sewing line down in Mexico for a few weeks. And I mean, it was, it wow. was brutal. And everyone, you know, I was, I was clearly slowing. Like I had the big bottleneck where I was because I wasn't very good. And it just, just the pressure of it, suffering through that, I had a completely new appreciation <laughs> for what, for what the people I was going to be doing the time studies on, you know, in their work uh, from that perspective. It's um, a great lesson, right? So what's the one trait that you would like to instill in every employee and why? This is um, probably not going to surprise you after my last answer, but grit. I think the ability to pick yourself up, dust yourself off in tough tough situations Mm -hmm. is just something that I wish everyone could could bring to the party because I think it's so important. Um, and I have to say, I am amazed every day at the grit that I see at Wonderman Thompson mm-hmm. with, our, with our teams. It's not easy in our industry. Mm-hmm. You are coming up with ideas on um, under time pressure, and those ideas are very personal to you. And you bring them forward, and you have your internal teams beating them up and saying, well, what if we did it this way instead? And then you get in front of a client and the client wants to pick up the pen and edit with you. And, you know, these are your ideas. It's hard, very hard to do that. And yet every single day I watch our teams keep their chin up, listen to the feedback, um, keep coming back for more, more time sensitive, more idea driven, great, great work. And that's not easy, but I find that so inspiring. And I, I think more people that are able to just pick themselves up, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect every time. You're never going to be perfect every time, but just the grit to get yourself out there. And when things don't go well, to pick yourself back up is invaluable. So Audrey, I, I love that. And so grit is obviously important for your company and, and for the industry. Do you hire for grit? Are you more focused on hiring for, for the person with grit? Or are you saying, hey, this is something that, that we can instill and we can foster? Or if they're either going to show up with it, and if they don't have it, they're not going to be here long. Well, <laughs> Which approach are you thinking there? You know, going back to what we were talking about before with, um, I think it goes both ways with people staying in their roles. I think Mm -hmm. we owe it to people when they don't show up with grit to give them that honest, direct with love feedback and say, you know, I think you need to stay positive. You need to pick yourself back up and, and we need to help them through that. Having said that, I do think it is, for the most part, something that you um, is probably part of your DNA. And mm. I think you can tweak it with people and say, how about if next time you try this and then you, you see if it takes. But we owe it to people. I feel like everywhere in the world, we've just become too quick to... Um, you know, throw out clothes that we don't like, throw out uh, situations and relationships that don't work. And so I, mm. I do think we have to give that feedback and hope that people can show up with that. 
Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. So grit is something that is, is, I wouldn't say it's mentioned a lot on the show, but periodically CEOs talk about it. And I think it's something that should not be underestimated how important it is because people can learn the job. And if they have this, like you say, if grit's part of their DNA or if they've developed it in their career, they're going to be up and show up and do the job and persevere. And man, grit, I bet, has been really helpful during the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're all finding new depths of grit during this period, aren't we? Yeah. So um, when's, a, when's a time in your career when you're like, yeah, thank God I had the grit factor? Well, I think when I was, when I was at BBDO and I was running the HP business and, and living on the West coast, I found myself in this moment where, um, Alex Craddock and Antonio Lucio, who had been, who had, who had really partnered with me to come up with a, a new way forward for HP, were both leaving the company. Mm. And so a lot was changing and new clients were coming in that wanted something completely different and, and, didn't feel great. And I think, or great for, for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the same time, my parents were quite b- both having significant health issues on the East coast. And I was on the West coast. So, you know, not the high point of, of, um, my work life. And I, it ended up being one of the best transitions because, mm-hmm the leadership at the agency recognized what was happening and um, had a conversation with me about what I wanted to do next. And I said, I really need to get back to the East coast. I want to be close to my parents. And they introduced me to the fabulous Wendy Clark who brought me on and um, asked me to look after the J and J business for Omnicom at the time. And um, that turned into six months later, her asking me to take over as president of DDB New York. So it, you know, in one year completely changed and it changed from being a situation where you have a little bit of a pit in the bottom of your stomach to suddenly Mm. being so excited about what the future holds. Wow. So yeah, yeah. Within a year, what a twist in your career. And so that moment where you, you were, had your parents on the East coast with the health health issues and the, and the, and the challenges with that, with the HP account, uh, what was, was it grit that helped you keep going or was there, was it your openness to the new possibilities or, or what was it at the time that was most helpful? Um, probably a bit of both. I think that you have to look within and just say, you know what, I'm going to take today for today and one day at a time and just, you know, do my very best today yeah. and, and not, um, you know, kind of freak myself out. And then I think the, the uh-huh. other thing is, you know, you look back on your life and there's been other moments where things have been tough and you, you draw strength from that. But yeah, I think grit mm. does play, play a big part in it. And um, I, I think it's important. And I, I want to highlight that tip you just gave. I don't want to get away from the listeners because Audrey just said, look back at other parts of your life where you got through a tough time and use on, use that. Uh, as motivation and proof that you can, you can persevere. And I think a lot of times it's so easy to forget that we've faced tough times before. Sometimes people don't even realize it. And so to mind your own experience, understand that 
And one of the great ways to do that as a leader is to share those experiences with other people, because you're reminding yourself that, that you've overcame things like Audrey's doing right now. Like you're, you're reminding yourself of, of these challenges. And so I, I think that's such a positive and helpful strategy. One of the things uh, that we spend a lot of time in, in my company is we help, help um, organizations with the catastrophic cost of turnover and reduce it, which our research shows can be over $235,000 per employee per year. We include all the factors. Do you think that turnover is something that leaders should be tracking? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think it is something that at Wonderman Thompson, we most certainly have our eyes on mm -hmm. um, both trying to make sure that we stay in front of it and do right by our employees, both in terms of, um, you know, pay scales and work environments and career opportunities. So that is really important and, and that we give them lots of opportunity for movement around WPP and within Wonderman Thompson. So there's lots of uh, programs that help give employees that opportunity, but mm -hmm. it is a catastrophic cost. And we do have to look at it, not just in terms of the salary replacement, but I think one of the things that's quite important in our industry is it's a team sport. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is in any um, client engagement that we have, you're going to have a creative team and strategists and leaders and tech and commerce um, folks. And we come together to work at how we can um, build creativity and yep. inspire growth for our clients. And so when one person falls out, it affects everybody. And there mm -hmm. is a sink that when you are working as a team and you're in sync together, the work is better. You're, you're driving growth for clients in a great way. And so I do think that when someone leaves, there is a cost beyond just the salary. Now, there's often times where we see someone new come in and it catapults it to the next level. So you can't be blind to that, mm -hmm. but it is something that we have to look at, um, not only from the, the salary perspective, but really what is the overall cost? And we do look at that. Yeah, I like that. And so great perspective there on, hey, it's the it's the dynamic and rapport with the team and their creative function as a unit, but also uh, it's like you're getting to know the client. And if there's a lot of turnover on the team and talking to the client, then they have to go back and really kind of restart so maybe, maybe some of the rapport uh, uh, with the client and understanding their business. So uh, yeah, I can see how it quickly, uh, quickly can add up. Now, one of the things uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about too is um, what's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired without naming names, of course. I will not name names. Um, and it was not at Wonderman Thompson, but I will tell you a story of um, a time where we had a, um, an opening at a leadership level and we hired somebody that was so excited about mm. And we trumpeted this person coming to the agency for a month before he arrived and introduced him with fanfare on a Wednesday. And I mean, he was meant to be my partner in running this agency. And on Friday, at the end of the day, like six o'clock at night, there was a meeting that was a really kind of a tough meeting. It was a tough client situation. 
Um, I think there's some unrealistic expectations internally. I think the meeting itself was a bit rough and, you know, it wasn't the best way to, to leave for the weekend, but it happens. And on Sunday, I got an email telling me that he had quit, that he would not talk about why he had quit and just telling me goodbye. And well, so you talk about grit. I had to go back eagle. to agency on Monday and figure out how to explain that this was, this had happened in three days and Oof. how this was going to be okay and uh, move on from that. And, but I learned a lot. I, <laughs> I don't think I will um, do as much fanfare in somebody coming. Uh, you know, hold the fanfare for later <laughs> after they've hit a few home runs. Yep. And also, you know, I, I thought I was doing a good job of checking in and making sure he was good. And I don't know if there's anything that I could have done differently, but clearly it was a moment where you needed a lot of grit to pick yourself up and, and find the positive in that. Yeah, I can. See, yeah, that, that's a great story. <laughs> and so many things to learn about that, about communication and hiring. And I mean, I bet it sounds like it was a, it made it quite an impression. Um, yep. You know, as leaders, part of the key thing is communicating with employees who may not be great communicators. And I don't know about, you know, this, this situation, but this idea of email culture where you can just email someone your resignation is maybe it's too easy and yeah. it really complicates matters. Uh, you know, and I, when I work with executives a lot who, who have very similar have had especially very similar situations during the pandemic because they would see their employees in the office more. Um, they had that more, that, that tighter personal connection. And with employees working remotely, I think that personal connection has been frayed a little bit. And you don't always know, number one, if your employees are interviewing for other positions, but also, you know, what, what they're going through in their personal life. So, so it makes that 100%. You know, it makes it so much more difficult. We tried to do something at Wonderman Thompson that I have found just so helpful. Um, and we try to do it. I, I was doing it um, five days a week and, and, and we try to keep it up as, as frequently as we mm -hmm. can now, but it's called the coffee chat. And mm -hmm. it is literally my um, assistant finds five people from the agency that uh, tend to have a, a similar role <clears throat> And bring, but in different clients and brings them together. And so um, for 45 minutes in the morning, we just have coffee and chat. And it's meant to do exactly what you say, which is replicate the days of when we would just bump into each other, getting coffee in the, in the hallway or whatever, and be able to just talk about how are things, what's going on without any kind of like a meeting and an agenda. And, and also for me to get to know other people in the agency, because mm -hmm. you, you, the thing that I don't, well, there's many things I don't love about the pandemic, but one of the things I don't love about the way we're working right now is yep. we tend to see the same people over and over and over. And I used to be exposed to so many more people when we were in the office every day. Yes. Yeah. So as a CEO, as a global leader, is your mindset, hey, we got to get people back to the office in person at some point, or you, are you okay with a hybrid or, or, or remote workforce long-term? You know, I, I, as I said, our business is a team sport. 
And there Mm -hmm. will absolutely be times where we are better when we are together, when we can put ideas all up on a wall and look at them for a client as a client would together, Mm -hmm. tile, move things around and debate things, the relationships, the being together, it's a team sport. And so that is important. And I do believe we do need to come back together, but I never have believed that that needs to be five days a week. I commuted from New Jersey for a long time in my career, and I can tell you that there's a lot of wasted time in there. And so I think about it this way. I think there are some times where the work that you need to do in a given day in order to have the most impact is about sitting and thinking and writing a presentation. And then you ought to do it at your table at home. And then there are some times where what you really need to do is come together with the team and debate ideas and work on a joint presentation together or a new campaign or a new CX experience, and then you should be in the office. And so my hope is that we can get to a place where people are better able to organize themselves around that Mm -hmm. and therefore have a hybrid work um, arrangement that can work for their lives and work for their work and not get rid of the opportunity for people to come together. At Wonderman Thompson, we've had a couple outings in New mm-hmm. York and people come together and like you can see the joy on their faces. We had a summer, a fall, a, a holiday one, and we'll have another one yeah. this spring. And the joy on people's faces when they come together and they're laughing. It's hard to replicate that completely if you are only on a computer screen all day. It just is. Yes. And I, I spoke at an event a couple months ago, and I I used to speak at a lot of live events, and a lot of those events went away, and we're doing all virtual. But we, I spoke at one in uh, early October, and I mean, people were hugging each other. You know, I, I saw the most connection there at an association event than I think I ever have. And it was such a beautiful experience and a great reminder that there are certain things that you just can't replicate virtually that you can do in person. And one of the things, and I'm really glad that you mentioned this about, Hey, there's some work that we can do out of the office, like that individual creative work, but then we got to take that work and we've got to expose it to other people and get feedback. And a lot of times it's probably best done in person. Um, one of the gaps that we're seeing through our training though, and and we're, we're working with some companies on this is a lot of, a lot of employees aren't ready to work in the virtual environment. They're just sort of figuring it out. And some people figure it out, you know, they read deep work by Cal Newport and they're like, Hey, I've got this thing. But a lot of people are just sort of winging it. Um, Are you equipping with your leaders sort of intentionally with the skills to work in a hybrid model or are they figuring out, or are you kind of working through it as a leader? I think it is something that we're working through as a leader. You know, we at Wonderman Thompson, we have a whole um, training program called iLearn that has um, great um, little um, um, modules that you can take at your convenience to help you. And I think we do have a lot of opportunities there for people to to learn and 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 think about what is the right way for them to um, bring out their teams and engage and lead a team and manage and Mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it, I mean, you know, Ben, a lot of it is when you are together. And as I, as I said before, being in the office and watching somebody do something 
is so valuable. So when I was an account executive growing up in the business and I saw other account executives on other pieces of business and how they handled something or interacted with people, yes, nobody was training me but I was observing how they handled a situation and learning. And I worry that that is missing in the current environment. Today. Yeah. Great mic drop on that. That is the missing element. Unless you're going to set your computer up and just sort of follow somebody throughout their work day, you know, job shadowing. I mean, being a part of that and observing how they handle problems is, is an amazing way to do it. It's the same reason why when I tell my daughter to please do something, she doesn't do it but then she'll like, she'll watch me and she'll do it. So I'm, I'm like a constant role model at home and you as the CEO and mother of the year, working mother of the year, you probably realize that this is something that you're being watched more than what they're actually doing, what, than what you're telling them to do. Um, so maybe drop us. So there, there've been a lot of helpful strategies in this specific interview um, what is maybe one more key success strategy that you think every leader or every employee needs to be thinking about for themselves? Um, I have three. Can I give you three? Yeah, great. If you were, you you've already given us an abundance, but if you've got three, let's hear what you got. If there's three things that I would tell people to yep. focus on to be successful, and obviously there's going to be a lot of things, but three core things. The first is come with specific requests and solutions. Oh, yes. Too often people talk about a problem, talk about a situation, but you need to make, I learned early on, make a specific request and come with specific solutions. Take work off your boss's plate. That, mm. well, people notice yeah. those people. people Don't give your boss them. more work. Give your boss less work. Yeah. <laughs> Good oh, strategy. You, it, it is a huge strategy to getting to being successful. Um, I think the second thing is presentation skills. I think presentation skills are, are just hugely underrated and your ability to be able to get up in front of a room and mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. is going to be a huge part of allowing you to be successful. And then I think the third thing is that old expression of, you know, be a radiator, not a drainer, be positive, be, be folk, be, be optimistic and, um, solution oriented, right? Because nobody yes. wants somebody around that is a drainer. I like that. I haven't heard it exactly put that way, but it makes so much sense. Radiate positivity. Don't drain the positivity or energy in the room for goodness sakes. Um, one of my uh, mentors years ago told me this ties into your presentation skills. He's like, Ben, your number one job as a presenter is to be the energy manager of the room. Uh, because if the energy is down, no one is going to listen to what you're saying in the first place. And I was like, that, that ties in beautifully with your radiator um, thing. For, for, but from a presentation skill point, I would love to hear kind of wrapping this up, any resources or presentation strategies that, that you fall back on for, uh, and that the listeners could, could benefit from? I do think that training is really important. And it's something at Wonderman Thompson that we are focused on giving our people. I think the thing that is most helpful is when you present to a mirror, Mm. to Mm -hmm. a computer or to someone else, because saying it out loud, no matter what level you are saying it out loud and rehearsing that you notice where the places are that you are stumbling where it's not making sense, 
And then you go back and you rethink it and you do it better the next time. So I think rehearsing as simple as it sounds, but rehearsing, whether it's for someone else or for the mirror is, is needed. Yes. And for some reason, people don't do it like and it. And I think because I, I do it and it does feel like, oh man, I got I've done all this, put this effort into it. And now I've got to practice like what, Yeah. but it's amazing how, even if you do it one run through, it doesn't, I mean, it changes. You're like, oh man, cause this is a different situation. Maybe you do part of it or, you know, yeah, it's not sexy or the most fun thing, but honestly, it is a huge help. And I think if more people did that, they would have more success in being able to present. You know, when when somebody gets in front of you and has a real hard time communicating, it it, it inhibits their growth. Yeah, love that. Audrey, thank you for coming on the show today. I love wrapping up on that presentation uh, skill set focus because... I mean, you're a marketing expert, you're a CEO of marketing agency. So you know a thing or two about presenting ideas. (laughs) So, uh, I think that's some great advice. And when the CEO of, of Wonderman Thompson's telling you to to practice your presentation, I'm going to go do that. I'm presenting next week and I'm going to (laughs) presenting twice. I want to, I want to, I'm going to go rehearse it. That's excellent. I love it. Thanks, Thanks, Audrey. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.